0: Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find
1: us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So I just want to read through some stuff. I'm going to talk about Jacob, um, kind of following on from our series of looking at God with us and looking at the idea that. Um, we've looked at people like Isaac, we've looked at um, people who are frustrating like Cy, si, and all those kind of different people throughout the whole of time. Um, but I want to just read some things just to kind of create a bit of context. You can, if you're good at imagining with your eyes open, then you're amazing. If you're bad at imagining with your eyes open, you need to close your eyes. Um, so can everyone just imagine as I'm reading through this? I want to just read through a number of scriptures, um, and I want you just to... Allow your imagination to run with what they paint. Okay, so this is Isaiah 7 verse 14. It says, She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1 verse 23, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joshua 1 verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23 verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth john fourteen sixteen to 17 and i'll ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you hebrews 13 verse 5 he god himself has said i will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support i will not i will not i will not in any degree leave you Helpless or forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. That is nine scriptures. I could have spent the entire morning reading through scriptural reference, scriptural accounts of God being with us. It is undeniably true from the whole account of scriptures that the message God wants to get across to his people throughout all of time, no matter what we look at on the face value of Old Testament accounts of Job or of the Noah and the flood or of the fall there is no doubt whatsoever that God's message to humanity is I am with you that is the reality and that is the same reality that is present today it just becomes clearer because God sends Jesus to literally be God with us when jesus leaves that's not god leaving and now suddenly not being with us anymore he then says i'm going to send you another helper i'm going to send you the holy spirit to be with you forever to never leave you nor forsake you that the message throughout the whole of eternity from heaven is going i am with you we are with you we are with you we are with you and right here this morning in this room in the wonderful gray and carpeted room whatever it is with the beige colored walls he is present here this morning with us and there's so many things that pull our attention away from that reality. Familiarity. Familiarity with these verses that go, yeah, I know that. I know that. That make it be less impactive. Or worries about what we're going to do next. Or worries about where we've been. Or mistakes. Or insecurities. Or whatever it may be. Or pride and arrogance. Well, it could be any whole range of things. But those things distract away from the, the fundamental reality. The undeniable truth that he is saying, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And we allow things to persuade us otherwise, to convince us otherwise, to to let us say that God's not really with me right now because I don't feel his presence. I know God's with me, but he's not really with me right now. And we do these crazy theological gymnastics that try and justify he's not really with me. But he never leaves us or forsakes us. The, the, the last one is my, one of my favourites. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, it's from the Amplified Version. just emphasizes it so well that God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you, helpless or forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the moment, he is present with us. And he is present with us this morning. I'm not going to try and wow you with new profound insight. What I'm hoping to do this morning is to remind us of a simple yet forgotten truth. That he is with us. He's with us now and we sometimes become more aware of that on a Sunday morning because we sing songs and we hear someone preach and it kind of awakens our awareness to the fact. And therefore what we do then is we create, and it's absolutely right that we meet together, but we create an idea that actually God's more with us on a Sunday than he is throughout the week. And none of us would ever say that verbally, but, but, but we feel that on some level. Because the reason we have that sense of awareness is because we build that sense of awareness on a Sunday and it's right to do so. But actually it doesn't mean that we can't build that same sense of awareness throughout the week and that when we come together the next sunday we have an even heightened sense of awareness that god is with us and then we build on that as opposed to going sunday is the peak and then it dips a bit down from there and then sunday is the peak and it dips a bit down how about it we went from here to here to here mm-hmm. and that a sense of presence with us that he, he is with us all the time the, the we, 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 we've looked at over the last sort of number of weeks looked at people like Abraham, looked at the different lives of these guys and you get this message that just goes through the whole thing that whether through so Adam and Eve and the fall, the, the God's, it, it just baffles me that, that I accepted the reality that, that, that somehow the decision of man, for Adam and Eve to make a decision to eat from an apple, somehow changed God's opinion of them. How, how, how supremely arrogant do we have to be that we believe that the one who is known as love can be affected in his view of us by our action the, but somehow again we accept that
0: mm-hmm.
1: because if I preached this morning that Adam and Eve fell and God turned his back on them and pushed them out of the garden and didn't want anything to do with humanity again after that until Jesus died on a cross and then he was okay with humanity again we'd accept that we'd go oh, yeah 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 okay that makes sense nothing could be further than the truth mm-hmm. that Adam and Eve fell absolutely that Adam and Eve made a mistake completely and, there, and there, there were consequences to that but the consequence was not God going I can't have anything to do with you until you. Jesus comes. And there's so much evidence in, in the Old Testament alone that kind of suggests that that wasn't true. But somehow we've allowed ourselves to be blind to the fact that that choice of Adam and Eve did not affect God's view of humanity. Mm-hmm. Didn't change his view. Because God's first response, and we can play wonderful kind of people that are incredibly more intelligent than I am, but the fundamental thing is as soon as Adam and Eve fell, the first thing God said, not the first thing Adam said or Eve said, the first thing God said was, where are you? Now, we can pretend that means lots of different things, but fundamentally, if I came home and I get into my house when I get back now and I'm like, Zach, Levi, where are you? That's not me looking for to tell them off. Or me saying, what state are you in right now? That's me literally going, where are you? Why? Because I want to come to where you are. Mm I.e., I I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. Now, they might think, we've made a mistake, therefore Daddy wants to tell us off. Or we've made a mistake, that that was what adam and eve thought that isn't what god thought Mm -hmm. because because we have taken adam and eve's perception of the situation and made it god's we've gone adam and eve felt god wanted to punish them and felt god wanted to tell them off felt god wanted to do something with them and we've gone that must be what god thinks but god's only response in that moment is where are you i i want to come to where you are doesn't matter that you've fallen doesn't matter that you've made a mistake i want to come to where you are and we see that throughout the whole of the scriptures and I'm not going to go through all that because we've done that part already but from Adam and Eve to kind of when we move through to Abraham and we look look at people being scattered from Babylon and we kind of pick up this whole idea especially in the life of Abraham of this idea that God wants to <coughs> bless humanity
0: right
1: that the, his whole premise of relationship with Abraham is this line in you all the families of the earth will be blessed the god's intention but again we make this crazy thought that actually god's coming to do with humanity he has to wait until jesus comes because jesus is one that appeases this father god actually that's it doesn't even follow that god is communicating with humanity where he can and he said to Abraham, look i i want to with, through you because you're responding to me i want through you to bless the whole of humanity did every single part of it i want to bless them through you and that same message comes up again and again and again and we follow this whole thing through that even though the, this family this humanity keep messing up and keep doing things wrong and abraham lies about the fact he's got a wife and he he, he makes stuff up and he, he makes wrong choices yet god's message is still i want to bless humanity through you Mm -hmm. because I love you and I love humanity and I need someone that's going to just communicate what I actually look like Mm. and I want to do that through you Abraham and when you make a mistake even when you lie even when you go down the wrong path I want to still do it through you and we then pick up the the, the kind of very I'd I'd love to meet him because I think it would be fascinating the very interesting character of Jacob because you've got people acting selfishly and people acting wrongly and people making mistakes the whole way through this thing, yet God is still consistent. I want to bless humanity. I want to I want to be there with you. And we pick up Jacob. And Jacob, I'm not going to go too much into the detail of this, but Jacob is a deceiver. He he deceives his father and, and steals a birthright. This doesn't introduce you to somebody that is kind of like your kind of prime candidate number one to be like kind of the kind of spiritual leader of the, of the generation. He 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 is a deceiver. He makes mistakes. But again, what we do is we look at it and we go but God used him. And we don't actually look at the reality of the fact that if we met Jacob, we probably wouldn't think that much of him. We we, we would probably criticise him because he has stolen something that wasn't even his. Mm-hmm. He's deceived people. He he is going to be manipulative. He is going to be cunning. He is going to be deceptive. He's going to be doing stuff that doesn't make us think, Like, right, really trust Jacob. Jacob's my guy. He's the one I'm going to go to. Okay, But, but we biblify it. We make, make it something that's distant and go, well, but yeah, but what about this, Jacob? And we make it kind of clever when it's not. Jacob wasn't a good guy in the sense of like conduct and action. And yet somehow, God still worked through him. So then we look at Jacob, and Jacob then had, d- had done this and rightfully, understandably, had ran. Because he was aware that actually I've, I've stolen this thing, and the person I've stolen it from is not best pleased about that. I need to get out of there. So Jacob is running, and, he, and he's creating family tension, and, he, and he's creating issues. He then takes four wives when anybody wants one. Now, whatever we look at, go well. it's cultural at the time to have four wives, that might be the case. But there's no point, in any point in history, where it's clever to have four wives and love one and not the other three. That's not smart, no matter what time you're in. Okay? <laughs> right? If you do have four wives, that's the cultural norm to do, then you make sure all four... No, you want all four, okay? Even if it's weird, okay? Jacob's not even that, that clever. He's like, I've got four, but I like one. <laughs> and I make it abundantly clear that I want one, okay? And he, he is not this kind of like savvy, clever kind of thing. He, he is after what he wants. I want the birthright. I want that wife. I want this. I want that. He, he's driven by that. We're not talking about someone who's incredibly noble. Now, I'm not trying to knock Jacob. They had lots of redeeming cult- qualities. What I'm trying to paint the picture of is that his character and his conduct did not stop God from going, I'm going to come through you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm going to work with you. He didn't stop that. The interesting thing, we'll pick up this afterwards. He was obviously tripped by Laban and eventually got his wife favoured one and not the other three I think I find it fascinating that then we're going to look at it in a moment he encounters God he wrestles with God it changes him he he, he has a different name he walks with a limp all that kind of stuff and we talk about that it's this profound change in Jacob and there's no doubt about that there's no doubt about that at all but what makes it really interesting to me is he had sons and we know that he favoured one Joseph to the point that the other sons hated Joseph And effectively, in their minds, killed him. Now, no matter what kind of family you come from, no matter what kind of families I see at school or you see in that, that's fairly extreme. They, They hate him to such a degree that they're willing to kill him and abandon him. Now, again, we can't just make that, well, that was just the Bible. That's abnormal whenever you exist. Whatever point in time you exist, if I said to you today, I've just dealt with some kids at school where they hated their brother so much that though they locked him in a room, beat him up and killed him and tried to pretend they didn't do it. Okay? You'd be like, my goodness, that's a hard day at work, Steve. Okay? You'd be like, what's going on there? Wouldn't you? But, but we look at it in the Bible and we go, well, yeah, that's just what happened to Joseph. Okay? But, but the reason that happened, not just to find the brothers, I'm not saying that they, they were understandable, but the reason that happened is because this man, Jacob, favoured one of them to such a degree that the others hated that one for it. He, he has created an environment of hostility and tension. And the ironic thing is, hasn't learned. Yeah. Hasn't learned. But it, in between, you can almost like excuse him and go, okay, he deceived his brother. He, he created tensions with his mum and his dad. He then ran from his brother. He then created tensions in the next family because he had four wives, wanted one of them, and created ten, tension with their with their father. He then encounters God he then he he has his name changed he he has a limp and he walks differently for the rest of his life and we make it super spiritual that when we encounter god we're changed and we're never the same again and i'm not knocking that that's absolutely true he still he still did the same thing after that he still favored one of his family and created family tension after that point now he made huge things and he did amazing things I'm not saying that's not true but again I'm trying to point out the fact that God wasn't affected by that because how often do we hear oh before I got, became a Christian I was a terrible person did drugs <laughs> took alcohol did all this kind of terrible stuff I met Jesus and I've never t- touched that stuff again and, it, and it, it almost creates this idea that actually pre that that's okay post that mm-hmm. you want God to work with you you've got to be perfect yeah. mm-hmm. and again we don't verbalise that but on some level we kind of sort of believe that mm-hmm. That I'm okay, like making all these mistakes before I was a Christian, or before I had this amazing encounter with God or before I've been a Christian for 30 years, but I encountered God in my life was never this, the same again. And that's all true, but we still have issues. We still work through stuff, and that stuff doesn't phase God)
0: mm-hmm.
1: It didn't phase God. God didn't go, Jacob, I've just encountered you. I've done this stuff. I've knocked your hip. You walk with him. I've changed your name. I've done all this amazing stuff. It shouldn't now be you making the same mistakes again. God doesn't even even bat an eyelid at it. He works with Joseph, the one that Jacob favoured. And yet somehow in in it all god's like that that's not moving me because i see beyond the mistakes is he going come on jake and make the mistakes of course he's not but he's saying look you've made the mistakes i'll still work with you
0: Mm.
1: and that that's the kind of thing i want us to pick up that god is with us and and we need to allow that sense of awareness and that That sense of, okay, you're with me, to increase more. Because it starts to just, more than anything we can do that's self-help, or anything we can do that's even positive, that starts to untangle and free this stuff. And I think it starts to change that stuff. So we just want to go to Genesis 28. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Genesis 28 says this, verse 10. Now Jacob went from Bethsheba and went toward Haran. Now this is obviously pre-he's he's done all that stuff we talked about, and he's now he's, he's on his merry way. Um, so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head um, and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set on earth. And it's top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending. I'm just going to pause for one moment on that. This is not my main point, but I just think it changes our way, our way of thinking again. Notice the angels were ascending and descending. So, ascending and then descending. They weren't descending and then ascending. Why is that important? It's not just moving pedantic. Okay, if swimming, For something to ascend, it has to be here for it to get here. Okay? Why is that important? Because it's showing the fact that God has not abandoned the earth.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because Jacob sees this thing and they, the angels are ascending where, from where? From the earth to heaven and then descending from heaven to earth. But notice they start here. We all, get, again, accept the fact that of course angels are coming from heaven to earth and then when they've done that on earth they're going back up to heaven again but this shows that, that actually that there, there's angelic activity there's God being involved in earth already yeah. he's not distant until I've gone right now I can come in God is present he's, he's active and that's just, just a little side thing because it's just important because we, we so often read with this lens of that the God wanted nothing to do with people until Jesus came but yet if we actually read it he's constantly looking for relationship constantly and actually the issue is not him the issue is often people's perception of him because if the issue is him and i'm going off on a tangent here if the issue is him enoch would not have walked with god because enoch was not many generations after adam and eve but enoch clearly saw something in this god that people talked about that well, i'm going to pursue that i'm going to go after that relationship and he built that relationship and he walked with god And that means he had a relationship with God. And therefore, if God doesn't want a relationship with people, how can he have a relationship with Enoch? Because Enoch is people. Enoch is a few generations after Adam and Eve, the ones who ate from the apple. So he ate the apple and fell and did all that bad stuff we think about, and that God didn't want anything to do with humanity now, but actually then Enoch came. And Enoch walked with them. My suggestion is to you that Adam and Eve were filled with so much shame and guilt that they passed that on that they communicated that to their children and their children's children and it it passed on so therefore their perception of God was he's a holy God he's a God who you can't go near he's a God who if you make a mistake does this God never did that but their perception of him would be that and therefore what they would tell their family would be that until Enoch comes along and for some reason goes I'm just I'm just not convinced about that story I'm not convinced that exists. I'm going to go for something different. I'm going to pursue this God that the story tells me wants nothing to do with me. But actually I'm going to follow a different path and actually I can start to walk with him and have a relationship with him and know him. And you see that pop up throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Every and again an Abraham pops up and a Moses pops up and a, a Jacob pops up and all these guys pop up and we, and we think it's because they're significant. It's not. It's because they've gone there's something about this God. There's something different than the stories I hear about him and I'm going to just pursue that relationship. And they become significant because of that. They're not significant because I'm going to work with you because you're holy or you're special or you're important. It's that I'm looking for somebody to work with that says his eyes are two and fro across the whole earth to who he can, he can work with effectively. I'm looking for someone to work with. I found somebody. And I'm going to work with you. And then because of that, they become significant in the the kind of accounts of scriptures. But we look at it backwards. We look at it like, well, they must be significant. That's why God worked with them. Not at all. God worked with them and it made them significant because they were looking for it. And it's like, am I looking for it? Am I disqualifying myself by going, actually, but I've done this, this and this. God, He can't work with me. Or actually going, God, I just believe that you're for me and you're with me no matter what I've done. No matter how passive I've been or how disengaged I've been or whatever it may be, you're still with me. Anyway, that's a massive sidetrack, but we'll come back. Okay, uh, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, it's the same message again and again. Behold, I am with you and will, be, and, and will keep you wherever you go. <coughs> and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you that God of promise again then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it and he was afraid and said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God this is the gate of heaven now there's lots we could follow on that line the idea that Jesus calls himself that later on the idea that he then passes that on to us as that point of contact for earth and we will finish with that but this is what I want us to catch from that that there's two ways of reading this the the main way is the way it reads there is this idea that physically, locationally, ge- ge- geographically, that Jacob encounters God in a place and he says, "This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This point here, God is in this physical location. This kind of like bit of carpet, just here. God is in this place, and I didn't know it." The other interesting way you could look at it is that God is think, think of all the baggage that Jacob brought with him, all the deception, all the betrayal all the 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 family stuff all the kind of all that stuff working in him he's on the run he's not in a good place emotionally okay and he's in a physical place but also the fact that god is in that place in that place of emotional turmoil in that place of family tension in that place of just the the regular run-of-the-mill crap that goes on day after day god is in that place okay not just a physical i'm not debating that it's talking about physical place it is but i also think there's an importance that god is in the that place physically with a man who's not in a good place in himself and how he's conducted himself and yet god for some reason is in that place Mm. jacob's not he'd pick out
0: Mm.
1: you wouldn't go go with jacob he's in a good place right now Mm. god can definitely work through him you go well, not maybe not Jacob. <laughs> not sure we can trust Jacob. Mm. Okay, I'm not sure Jacob won't make the same mistakes again because he clearly does. But God encounters the man in a, in a physical location who himself is in a place that's not good, and in a place that so it, is in a place that, in the same way that the, the physical place is, is, is barren and empty with a stone for a pillow. He's, the Jacob is not in a good place either. And it's the same thing for us that no matter where I am emotionally, no matter where I am. Spiritually, whatever what that means, no matter what's going on in my family, no matter what's going on in my past, no matter all that stuff, and I feel feel completely disqualified and disengaged. God meets me in that place. In the same way that if I'm at work, I'm doing the most mundane and boring job in the world, or I'm having the worst day possible, or my family are just off the walls for whatever reason. God meets me in that physical place as well. At my desk at work. In my classroom when I'm teaching. In my business meeting. In whatever it is. My visit. God meets me in that physical place. And he meets me in my emotional place as well. That God effectively meets anywhere. And the key is not... And we flip this the other way then. The key... I'm not putting this emphasis on But the key is not him. He's constantly going, I want to encounter you. I want to meet you. I want to engage with you day after day. The key is... Are we allowing ourselves for that to happen? Am I willing to look past all my mistakes and all my stuff and go, actually, God, you're bigger than all that stuff? And actually, God, you love me and you want to encounter me. I'm going to be open to that. But then secondly, am I willing to give attention to it? Because there's one thing to know this side of it. Yeah, God loves me, He wants to encounter me. But then, secondly, am I willing to give my attention? Because Jacob said that God is in this place and I didn't know it. That how often do I go through my day and go, God, I don't know, you're here. If anyone stopped me and said, is God here with you now? i But absolutely 100%. But have I known it? Have I experienced it? Have I stopped for a moment and gone, God, you're here. And I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you an hour. I'm going to give you 30 minutes. I'm just going to be here. Not my phone, not my TV, not even my books or whatever it may be. I'm going to just want to be here with you right now and give my attention to you right now. Because it's interesting, when we follow this story through, we jump a few generations now but I'm going to pick up Moses and I want to just um, pick up something really significant um, with him so if we just go to I've completely written down the wrong reference just hope this is the right one Exodus 3 I think it is if you look to my notes right now I'm making no sense at all I've just done what I did with the dates I've written out Genesis 3 which is not where Moses exists so um, okay Genesis 3, so I met Exodus 3 even, Exodus 3, okay? And it says this. We jumped for generations, okay? It says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law. Just bear in mind, he's tending a flock, okay? I'm not going to go through everything that's happened to him so far, but he's left e- Egypt and he's tending a flock, um, which is a job. And that's important to understand, okay? We cannot super spiritualize this stuff, he's doing a job. It's not. Well, he's a shepherd, and like Jesus, shepherd. Yeah, maybe, but but he's just doing a job, okay? Like I'm a teacher, like Jesus a teacher. It doesn't make my job more spiritual than the next person's. He's doing a job, okay? He's tending a flock of his father, Lord, his father, his Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came to her, her over the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now sometimes the bible writes stuff in the in in a way where we read it and we go see god wanted his attention so it appeared to him in a fiery bush and i can stop reading there and that'll be my theology then that'll be my expectation if god wants my attention god wants to tell me he's in this place then i need something like a burning bush i need something that, that that is dramatic that is significant that grabs my attention okay but that's not actually what happened it's almost that it's got its, it's not got it out of order, but it's almost telling you what happened. It's almost like a summary, an abstract, at the start of a kind of thesis or a dissertation. And then it's talking about actually the sequence of events. So it's saying, look, you're about to read a sequence of events about an angel appearing to, Joseph, to Moses. That's basically what it's saying. Now here's the sequence of events. And then he says this, and this is this. So he looked, and behold, the, bu- the bush was burning with fire, but, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, and this is important to follow Moses' kind of dialogue or monologue. Okay. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Not. I will now turn aside and listen to the voice. Because the voice hasn't spoken yet. It was incredibly normal, as it is today, for bushes in this kind of place with this kind of temperature to set on fire. That is not the exception. Moses isn't going, oh my goodness me, there's a bush burning over there. That's as normal as me going, oh my goodness me, there's a piece of rubbish on the street outside, okay? (laughs) It's perfectly normal. It's not like, oh my goodness me, look at that rubbish, okay? There's nothing profound about it. Moses isn't going, look at that bush, it's burning. It's amazing. If we had a burning bush here, probably. Because it's not normal for them to just suddenly spontaneously kind of set on fire here because the heat's not right the dryness isn't right but there that's as common as anything okay a bush on fire is normal Moses is significant he says that I'm going to turn he, something's caught his attention about it though and the fact that's caught his attention is he said that bush is on fire yet it's not being consumed hmm. I mean, it's, on, it's burning but it's not burning up it's not m- kind of turned to ash it's not, it's not breaking down and therefore again don't spiritualize it he is interested by the bush that's not burning. Mm-hmm. Not, oh my goodness, I bet God's in that bush.
0: Mm.
1: And that's important. Because he, he, something has caught his attention. And instead so they just ignoring it. He's following it. I'm not saying there's not a spiritual awareness to him. Of course there is. But he's like, that's something over there that's caught my attention. I'm going to give some time to that. I'm going to pursue something with that. Then it says this. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw... That, Moses, that, that he turned aside that Moses turned aside to look God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses and he said here I am well, I'm going to go through the rest of it because that's the, the bit I want you to get Moses is doing an ordinary job an ordinary thing happens in his ordinary job a bush that's on fire but he decides that there's something about that that's caught my attention so he's turned aside and in that turning aside he's encountered god the god's not gone right if he turns aside then i'll encounter him god's not testing him in the sense of like like, let's see if he's really that bothered okay moses is doing an ordinary job an ordinary thing happens but something about that ordinary thing catches his attention Mm -hmm. And therefore he turns his attention to something and in that turning of his attention he encounters God and that is an important slight the variation that God is there the whole time God's not going well I only speak to him God's not petty we and we we have created a picture of God of a petty God that goes right if you worship me strong enough if you sing songs to me well enough then I'll speak to you but think about that if I if I behave that way as a dad You'd be thinking he's the worst dad in the world, right boys? If you say things well enough about me, if you sing some songs about me, and you do all my chores around the house, then I'll come and encounter and talk to you. I mean, that that's ridiculous. And yet somehow we, we, we've shifted that onto God. And it, it, it's just not like that. But the reason that is it came because we've done the, the, the kind of horse towing the so the wagon towing the horse because the other is that the reason i encounter god when i worship the reason i encounter god when i am reading my bible the reason i encounter god when i'm praying and singing is because i'm turning my attention to him
0: Mm -hmm.
1: not because those actions in themselves mean that he now feels okay now i can speak to you Mm -hmm. but because he's always been there And therefore, in that moment, I'm turning my attention to him. I'm going, God, I just want to focus on you and I want to just spend some time with you right now. I want to be with you right now. In the same way, Moses has turned his attention to this bush. And by doing that, his awareness of God being there is opened up. And God's been able to speak and God's been able to, to break through and communicate to him. The aim is not, I've got to find a burning bush. That's not the aim. The aim is, God, I've got to turn my attention to you. In my ordinary job, in my ordinary day, seeing an ordinary thing, I want to just turn my attention to you in that moment. That there is nothing significant at all about a bush on fire and Moses leading a flock of sheep. It's as normal as me teaching a classroom of kids and having a kid forget his pen. It's as regular as that. There is nothing profound about that. Someone said to me, what was the most interesting thing in your day? And I said, someone forgot their pen. That's a boring day. <laughs> that is the most dull day in the world. Okay, But that's it. Him seeing a burning bush, is, like, oh, okay, there's a burning bush. Okay, kids forgot a pen. It's an ordinary job and an ordinary day. But in that moment, he's gone, no, there's something, that, there's just something, I want to just turn my attention. And in turning his attention, he encounters God. The same thing for us. That in my boring classroom, everyday classroom, in my ordinary lesson, can I... In that space, go, God, I'm just going to turn my attention to you and know that you're with me in this classroom right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not waiting for a burning bush to appear in my classroom or an audible voice from God to kind of speak into the room and everybody go, what was that? But I'm going to turn my attention to you in my ordinary day, Mm -hmm. doing my ordinary stuff and go, God, you're with me in this environment. And the amazing thing is this, and this is where I want to lead us to, that as we do that, that it's, it's not about twisting God's arm to give us the attention. It's about, God, do you hear with me? I have your attention. Do you have mine? That's the key. That God, God's attention is on us, one of about better God is focused in on us. I remember sometimes I would sit at home with the boys and I would watch them do stuff. It's fun, I'm just, I, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing, again, ordinary stuff, playing on FIFA, d- doing some drawing, I'll just watch them. And it's a be- beautiful moment, you just get to watch them do something, and they have no idea I'm watching them, until they turn their attention. Yeah. They're not fighting for my attention at all. I'm watching them, and I'm watching them do something, I'm watching them do something as normal as possible, and I just enjoy watching them doing that. And then they turn, and then we have an interaction, an encounter. Uh, what it, too grand a statement. But you know what I mean, we, we engage, if that makes sense, but they're not fighting for it. they have it, yeah. but they turn and, and they, then they give me theirs, and then we talk and then we dialogue, and it's that, that kind of thing with our father in heaven. It's not any different. It's the same thing he's, he's engaged with us. Are we engaged backwards, or have we got into the familiar routine of stuff? of going, yeah, God's with me, but not really experiencing that. Not really knowing that, in a sense of like, that's changing the way I live and function and do life because he's with me. That if I become increasingly aware of that, then I go into situations in a completely different mindset. Mm -hmm. Because God's with me, in the same way Moses did. I just love Moses saying, let's think about it. God said to Moses, follows on a little bit further down, God said to Moses, I'm going to send an angel before you and he is basically going to deal with every single problem and and issue you face in leading the people out of Egypt. He's going to deal with all of it. Now imagine that. Imagine God spoke to you and said, look, I'm going to send an angel before you and every single thing you've dreamed of doing, every single plan you've had about your future, he's going to sort everything out so it all happens. I would challenge any of you to go, nah. (laughs) Don't want that. I I probably wouldn't. Let's be honest. If someone said, right, Come on, because all those things you've dreamed about, Steve. All of them are going to happen. I'm going to send an angel to, to sort it all out for you. I'll be like, okay, that's awesome. Let's do that, okay? But listen to what Moses said. I'm not going unless you come with me. Because Moses had got to a point of going, I don't want to do this life, no matter how successful it looks, unless you're with me. Now, we know God's with him, so what's he really saying? I'm not, not going to do it unless I have a constant engagement and relationship with you. Mm-hmm that's what I want not just success not just whatever it looks like it's grand and it's wonderful nothing not knocking any of that stuff that's important but I'm not going to do it unless I know I'm walking with you in it and that's wonderful but that happened because he turned his attention and amazing things changed and happened as he walked with God as god walked with him and they they did this relationship together and that's what kind of starts to change that that am i turning aside to him in in moments am i acknowledging he's here and taking a moment just to breathe and go god you know you're here my phone is not here right now my tv is not here right now my goodness knows what else okay my attention is not here right now but you are you are here right now you're you are you are present with me the, the what is it that's grabbing my attention and stopping me from turning aside. That there's a burning bush over there that's ordering that's normal, but perhaps this thing is a bit more interesting. And therefore I've turned away from engaging with my father and turned towards this thing. That's nice, not wrong, not bad, but actually is, it, is that grabbing my attention more than time of, time of my father is. The what is it, is it, is it that actually, I've sensed that God's in that bush. I've sensed that God's in that ordinary moment over there, but actually am I disqualifying myself? Because like Jacob, I've deceived people. I've got family issues. I've got all kinds of crazy stuff going on in me right now. I'm emotionally all over the place. I've had a bad history. I've done whatever it is. Am I, am I disqualifying myself from approaching that? Because I know for some of us in this room, we will have a complete confidence that actually, if I turn my attention to you, God, I know you're there. But the other side of us is going, I don't want to do that because I don't feel good enough. I don't feel qualified enough to do that. And the whole time he's going, doesn't make a jot of difference. Mm -hmm. The whole history of the Bible shows us that he does not care one iota how much we screw up or mess up as long as we're his. Now, that's not an excuse to screw up a mess up. That's a realisation that, God, you're so much bigger than my mistakes. You're so much bigger than my failings, my my emotional issues, all that kind of stuff. And actually, if I just go, God, I'm going to take a deep breath I'm going to turn to you anyway, I'm going to count you anyway, I just find a sense of peace. I find a sense of rest. And all that other stuff just starts to pale away. Because God, I'm going to trust the fact that you're not here to punish me. You're not here to kind of expose me. You're not here to kind of reveal all my dirty secrets. You're here just to love me. And you're here just to encounter me. And you're here just to heal me. And here just to restore me. And here then to do that to such a degree that then you send me out as an example of like, this this is what I look like. And that's the beautiful thing because Jesus picked up this same thing about Jacob and the ladder. And he says in, in, I think it's Matthew, he says to i think against nathaniel it said look you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man why is he saying that he's saying look that you're going to see heaven come to earth through this this man that, that god is in this place i the, the body of a man not just because he's the son of god but because he's a man who's in relationship with god and therefore, that same thing's for us. The, the, the more I become aware of the fact he's with me, the more that where I go, it seems like heaven comes to earth where I go. Mm-hmm. Is that because I'm special? Not in the sense of more so than anyone else. It's because I've gone, God, you're with me. And because you're with me, that means heaven starts to leak out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: starts to affect the environment I'm in. And the, the challenge we have, I believe, in our, in our culture in general, is then not to... Inappropriately raise those individuals up to such a degree that that becomes an exception, not the law, not the norm,
0: because
1: it shouldn't be the exception. Abraham is not the exception. Moses is not the exception. Jacob's not the exception. Joseph, um, whoever Jesus isn't even the exception, as it, strange as that sounds, they, Jesus set an example to be followed that we become the same in the way that we move and operate and things. And that starts with the fact that we become aware. Turn aside to that ordinary moment in an ordinary day and go, God, you're here in that moment. Turn away from those doubts and naggings that go, you're not good enough and go, God, I'm not bothered whether I'm good enough or not. You love me anyway. Mm -hmm. You want this for me anyway. And I want to do that to such a degree that then earth starts to be shaped through heaven, coming to it through me and changing that environment. Mm -hmm. So Holy Spirit, I ask that this week, as Luke sang earlier, you would disrupt and you would interrupt our regular scheduled planning. And you would help us in those ordinary moments, in those ordinary days, with that ordinary thing happening, just to turn our attention away and go, God, thank you, you're in this place. Thank like you're here with me right now you don't ever leave me or forsake me you would help us to meditate and think on those things that we would become increasingly aware god you're with me you're here right now you're for me and the 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 the, the, the truth would come as it was with joseph who had nothing who was sold into slavery, who was probably had no clothes on his back and probably had no food in his stomach and was just beaten and had literally nothing. And yet your description of him was he was successful because you were with him. Then no matter where we find ourselves, because you are with us, that's what means we're successful. That's what means heaven comes to earth. That's what means peace and hope and security. Amen.
0: Amen, Amen.